I want to transition somewhat this morning as we're dealing with conversational Christianity. Up to this point, we've been talking about times when Jesus had a conversation, which is probably the very best illustrations and applications we can make. However, I think it's also really important for you and I to see that Jesus taught his folks how to have conversations. And therefore, we're going to transition now through the rest of the time that we look at this subject. We're going to see conversations that came about under the tutelage, the prompting of Jesus himself, but came after Jesus left the planet, went on back to the Father. He's given that great commission in Matthew chapter 28, that they are to go into the world, baptizing disciples and then teaching them to observe everything that he's commanded. That's already taken place. And we're now going to launch into some illustrations of how God's people carried out conversations. I had debated about going into one more story about Jesus. Uh, there's another, there's actually several more that I could have used, but the one about the rich young ruler is quite interesting. And there are a lot of applications I could have made there, especially when it says that uh, Jesus loved him, uh, even though he had to give him some bad news. He had a lot of stuff and he said, basically, go sell your stuff, give it to the poor and come follow me. And it's just evidently too much for the rich young ruler to do. And uh, there are a lot of applications that could be made there. Uh, some to you and I living in the most materialistically gluttonous nation on the planet. And uh, some of us need to give up some stuff so that God's work can be carried out. But I decided that instead of dealing with that directly, I would just go ahead and launch into what is maybe one of the most classic illustrations of a conversation outside of Jesus himself directly having one. And this is the story of Philip and the eunuch. So we will be in Acts chapter 8. And if you'll open your Bibles there, you'll be able to follow along with me and see what is... And again, I'm not suggesting that Jesus' story is not applicable to you and I. It certainly is. But to me, there's just a, an extra personal touch when you begin to see what God's people did with God's instructions. Because it becomes real to me. This isn't just the Emmanuel, God in the flesh, who is, is carrying these things out. He obviously is the master of all of this. This is actually the student of the master. And now what is Philip going to do with the message that Jesus has presented? And he has seen witness before him, etc., etc. And so as you begin in Acts chapter 8, and we, we start in verse 26... There's many things that we're going to see here. I'll give you just three points. But the key word, if you're keeping up with them, the key word for this lesson is follow. As good conversationalists, we need to learn to follow. Specifically, we need to follow, number one, the leading of the Holy Spirit. I want you to see verse 26 and following. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Notice that. So God is prompting this. An angel of the Lord, the word angel uh, means messenger. A messenger from God comes to Philip and he says, Philip, here's a job for you. Rise, go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Come, We'll come back to that in just a second. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And was returning seated in the chariot and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. First point, I want you to understand that we need to be as conversationalists for Christ. We need to be following the directives of God. 
Now, I am not suggesting that you're going to get a wee small voice in the night or you're going to have somebody whisper in your ear that the angel's going to pop up in your bedroom and he's going to say, here, I want you to go to, uh, you know, Main Street and Paragould and, and talk to so-and-so. I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily going to happen. But what I am suggesting to you is that if you are attuned to God's leading, and that takes place by a person who is prayerful and constantly in touch with God and his will in their life, in other words, we're not living this schizophrenic kind of a spiritual existence that so many in the church seem to be living that you could divide, I'll give you a personal illustration, that you could somehow divide your politics from your religion. For a Christian, that's nonsensical. If your religion does not influence your politics, you got a problem with both. Because we are not called to be schizophrenic, to polarize our positions on anything. Everything that God does depends, or excuse me, everything that God does in my life is a direct result of what God is doing. And if I segment out some part of my life, politics, for instance, that's not going to be touched by my religious uh, convictions. I have become an individual who's basically a hypocrite. My values have got to touch my politics as, quick as, they, as quickly as they touch my budget, or they touch my training of my children in my home, or they you can't divide your life up that way. And so when you begin to see God in every part of your life, you begin to see God opening doors and closing doors. I'll be honest with you, there have been times in my personal ministry when I've been plumb frustrated with God. And I know that might sound harsh or wrong for me to say, but I'm just being brutally honest. There have been moments in my life when I thought, God, why do you not let me see that or have that door opened? I've had family members who I know are on the path to hell. I know they are not going to spend eternity with the Lord. And I want so desperately to say or to do or to be in a situation where I can help them. And yet it seems like God never opens those doors or at least hasn't opened those doors for me yet. I can't tell you the number of times I've wanted to kick down a door to go through it because I'm thinking to myself, God, how can you not see that opportunity? Only to discover weeks, months, years later that had I kicked down that door then, it would have been tragic. God is God, and I am not. And I've got to wait on his leading. And when he opens those doors of opportunities, I need to be ready to go through them, such as we talked about, I think it was last week, with regards to the subject of baptism. I'm so disappointed in the number of Christians I have been associated with across the country who are just completely unprepared to substantiate their trust in why baptism is essential for the forgiveness of sins. I can't tell you the number of Christians, Christian young people I am familiar with, who have been dragged off into denominationalism, such as the Baptist church or the, or the Presbyterian church or the Methodist church and other churches of this nature that oftentimes are struggling with this subject of, of salvation and you and I don't have enough material to, to suggest to them baptism is significant. Not just significant, baptism is essential. My friends, if you have not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you are not on the path to glory. You're not on the path to heaven. We've got to be blunt. We've got to put it forth. We've got to let people know that because if we're living in the last of the last days... We're just days away from a time when some of our friends are going to go to a devil's hell and spend eternity away from the Father. We've got to stop trusting in men and start trusting in what God has to say. And the only way to do that is to put yourself directly in tune with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells us that we have to be born again. Those who were baptized as babies, I think not. 
How can a baby ever decide that they want to follow after God? They can't make such a personal decision as that. Those who were baptized as if it was something that occurred after they were saved are individuals who are declaring to the world that baptism's really not that significant. It's just a trophy moment. I was saved back in the day. It's just simply not of the Bible. And individuals who are not willing to go with the scriptures are not going to be with God forever. Read Matthew 7, 21 through 23. These were good people who said, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Your name, do all these marvelous things. And yet at the end of the passage, it says, depart from me, I never knew you. Because you're evildoers. These are individuals who didn't want God's will. They wanted to do what they thought was best. They followed after family members. They followed after a pastor and what he had to say. They followed after close friends, but they never took the time to personally, on their own, look into the book and decide, am I doing what God wants me to do? In this passage, Philip gets a very difficult assignment. And maybe the most difficult part of this is the first point. He is called to launch out in faith to go to a place in the middle of nowhere. Because there's going to be an open door, God says. Read the passage. An angel of the Lord says to him, I want you to go south, the road down to, to, uh, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place, it says in my translation. I suspect it says something like that in yours as well. This is not like the big city. It's not like you're going to see a lot of folks. It no doubt was a path that was, was probably uh, guarded, if you want to call, call it that, by robbers and thieves and individuals. That, he's going out in the middle of nowhere. Lord, how can I find an open door in the middle of nowhere? That's not your business, Philip. Your business is to do what I ask you to do. And so Philip takes off, and he goes out into the middle, the middle of nowhere. Two things that you've seen in that reading thus far that indicates the Spirit's leading. Number one, the angel of the Lord says to Philip. And then number two, if you come on down here to, I guess I didn't actually read it, verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, so you see that this is no, nothing less than a God moment. He has opened the door. And he's asking Philip to make sure that he goes through that door. So as we follow in our conversations, recognize that we've got to follow after God, his open doors. Now, I sounded a little bit harsh there earlier, and, so, and I'm not backing away from it. I'm just, I just want to give a qualification to some things. There have been moments in my life when I've had family members who needed to hear what I just said to you, but I didn't want to stir up trouble. And so as we sat at the table for Thanksgiving or whatever it may be, I just didn't bring it up. I do not want to stand before God on the day of judgment. And here, one of my family members pass as they're called to the front. And hear them say to me, Sonny, I wish you had told me. I wish you had just said it bluntly. I wish you had just pointed it out. Here I, am, here I am on my way to stand before the judge of all creation. And I know what's coming. He's sending me to hell forever. Sonny, I wish you'd have said it. Instead of just backing away at Thanksgiving or Christmas meal or whatever it was, I wish you'd have just said it. When the Holy Spirit leads... We best get after the job of responding. And I stand before you as a minister to say, in confession mode, I've not often done it. Number two, 
I want you not just to see that it is by the Spirit's prompting, or in other words, he's following the Spirit, but I want you to see that he is also following with confidence. This one's a tough one for me. I'm a big mouth. You would think Sonny can go into any room and do whatever, that kind of a thing, but I'll be honest with you. I get intimidated by people just like you do. And as you continue reading, specifically we're going to read uh, verses, uh, let's see, well, specifically verse 30, but let me go back to verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go and join this chariot. Go over and join this chariot. So this is, this is your opportunity. Notice what happened in verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Now there is absolutely no indication in this passage that Philip knew the eunuch. But I want you to know some of the things that you can infer. The eunuch is probably not alone. This is a statesman. This is a guy who's got prominence. We know that because he's the guy in charge of the treasury. Another thing that you can probably infer is that since he's an important fella and might himself had access to a lot of funds in order to make this particular trip, he probably has guards. He's probably an individual who is well guarded. The third thing that is pretty clear that we know from the passage is that they are passing through a very deserted place. So let's just take some of those inferences and, and add it all together. Here's a very important, important individual, a statesman who is traveling through a very deserted place, probably well guarded, maybe well funded, and some strange dude runs up beside the chariot and says, hey, you understand what you're reading? That takes some courage. What would be your first thought if you're passing through a deserted area and some guy comes running off a side path right up to your chariot? What's your thought? What's the thought of your guardians? This is a thief. This is somebody coming to take advantage of me. And yet Philip was told by the Spirit, this is your assignment. This is what you need to do. I kind of parallel, I was talking to my dad on the way to church this morning, I kind of parallel it with Ananias and his assignment from God to go speak to Saul, who becomes Paul. You know, remember, Saul has been praying, I get it, he'd been praying the sinner's prayer for three days and it didn't save him, by the way. And Ananias finally has to come in after three days and say to Saul, you need to repent. You need to have your sins washed away. In fact, Ananias is so bold, he says, what are you waiting for? Acts twenty two sixteen. But I doubt seriously those were the emotions in Ananias' mind initially when God gives him the assignment. Back up and remember, God says to Ananias, I want you to go speak to my servant Saul. Oh, Lord. This is the guy who's been persecuting Christians. This is the guy who's taking Christians back and, and the indications are in Scripture torturing them to try to get them to give up Jesus. Lord, you want me to go talk to this fella? Yeah, that's your assignment, Ananias. That's quite a conversation, too. We may get to that one. Now I want you to pedal back to Philip, our topic this morning. This was not an easy job. Philip had to go to a person who no doubt was much more affluent, if you will, than he was. And he comes running upside the chariot, and what does he ask? Is that not interesting? 
what he says. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip from the outset assumes he can teach this guy something. Now, I don't think there was an arrogance there, but I think there was a confidence. There was a boldness in recognizing if God gives me the assignment, the assignment is worth me going into with confidence. And so he run, runs up beside a chariot that's probably well guarded. And he asks the question, what can I teach you? As we follow, follow with confidence. If God opens that door, you go through it like you own the room. Because you do. God said so. Number three. As you move from 31 through 37, my last point is that we need to see that, and this is an odd one, but it's, it's unique to this story, and I think it's one that we need to apply. As you follow, remember that sometimes you've got to follow the lead of the student. Let the student lead. That's what happened. Watch this. Verse 31. And he said, how can I? That's the eunuch. We've just been asked, do you know what you're, you're reading? How can I? Unless someone guides me. Notice what he's doing here. This is the student leading the teacher into, I need you to tell me. He's asking questions. He's wanting, he's inviting an opportunity for us to have a conversation. He goes on to say, and he, he invited Philip up into the chariot to sit with him. There's another moment where the student is leading. Now don't jog alongside there. You're going to run out of breath. Come up here and sit with me. Now again, I don't know how much of the conversation we don't have here, but when, at what point did the eunuch establish that the Philip's not a thief or robber? I don't know, but he evidently did. And the eunuch says, come up here and you tell me what I'm reading here in this passage, would you? If this isn't a God moment, I don't know what God moments are. God has set the table and he invited Philip up to sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter like a lamb before his shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. <laughs> can you think of a better passage for God to have this guy reading when Philip comes jogging up alongside the chariot? I mean, this prophecy obviously is about Jesus. And the eunuch has just come from Jerusalem, where they killed Jesus. And he's no doubt heard the stories about the crucifixion and this guy who claimed to be the Messiah, but they killed him, but he rose again on the third day. All of these stories are no doubt swirling in his mind. He may have gone to Jerusalem for confirmation. We don't know. But all I'm saying is God let him read that passage in preparation of Philip coming up alongside. God moment, I think. But my point is that sometimes you've got to let the student lead. Verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about somebody else? Perfect question. Who do you think this is passage is talking about? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Who's leading? Now, I'm not saying that Philip 
had made the decision that, well, we need a couple more miles for me to get a, enough in before I can ask him to be baptized. I don't know. And I'm not saying that Philip even necessarily noticed the water and had, had kind of pushed it out of his mind and said, well, not yet. I, I'm not ready to ask him. I don't know. I just don't know. But what I do know is that the eunuch prompted the baptism. The eunuch says, I want to be baptized. The eunuch was under such conviction, he says to the teacher, why can't I get baptized right now? Now, I admit, these kind of perfect scenarios don't come along very often in ministry. I wish they come along much more often than they do. But it came along for Philip, and he celebrates it. And they pull that chariot to a stop, and they both go down into the water because we're not going to sprinkle him. We're not going to pour a little water on his head. We're going to make sure he's baptized because that's what the word means, to immerse, to submerge in water. And they both go down into the water. Philip had no need to get his sandals wet if they're going to sprinkle water on his head. But they go both into the water because we're going to submerge him under the water. It's going to be a complete burial because if we don't, it's not like the burial of Jesus. And they bury that man in water because he asked to be. Now, there's a lot of inferences that you can make here, but one of the biggest ones is clearly this. When Philip spoke unto him Jesus, that message, to some degree, had to include baptism. Or you'd ask yourself, why would the eunuch even want to be baptized? Evidently, there was something that Philip said in his message as he is giving the interpretation of that marvelous passage that, that the eunuch was reading. There's something that prompted Philip to say something about, about baptism, evidently. Because now the eunuch is prompting the decision. Hey, man, <laughs> there's water right there. We've been talking about Jesus. Death, burial, and resurrection. I can duplicate that. I want to duplicate that. I want to become one of his. Here's water. Why can't I be baptized? You can. And that chariot comes to a screeching halt. And they both go down into the water. And that day the eunuch met Jesus in the water. And that day the eunuch's sins were forgiven by Jesus in the water. And that day, upon the meeting with Jesus and the forgiveness of his sins, he was resurrected a new life. We don't hear any more about the eunuch. We don't know what in the world. There's church history that assumes. But all we know at this point is that the eunuch is a changed man. And he's going home and no doubt telling his friends and neighbors about the experience he had. Because Philip was willing to be led by the Spirit, confidently take advantage of the open door of opportunity, and then allow the student himself to ask the questions and lead to the conclusion. If we can follow in that manner, imagine the effectiveness of our own evangelism. So as I end, let me say this with love and yet with confidence, as Philip said it. You can believe that you know Jesus and not know him. 
you can believe that you're serving Jesus and not serve him. You can believe that you're going through all the right motions and not be doing what God wants you to do. I know that's true because of the words of Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. But Lord, Lord, did we not in your name cast out demons, etc., etc. Depart from me, I never knew you evildoers. Why would he do that? These are good people. You've got to read verse 21. They didn't do the will of the Father. We've got to stop practicing the will of the pastor, the will of the, of the denomination, the will of the popular author of the book. And we've got to start doing what God says do. And God says, you will not get through my pearly gates if you have not honored my son. And you cannot honor his son in any more profound way, including what we've done this morning with regards to communion, because this points to baptism. You cannot honor the son in any more profound way than dying to yourself, being buried in the watery grave of baptism, rising to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 3 and 4. But if you've not done that, you're holding on to a stubbornness that one day will condemn your soul to a devil's hell. And so although I don't know all of you very well, I do know that there are people watching, and really one of the reasons I'm being so blunt is because I know that some of the folks who are watching this out there, they need to hear this. If you've not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, I beg of you, seek out someone today that can take you to a pool, take you to a baptistry, take you somewhere to relieve you of the sins of your life. Because only in Jesus can there be forgiveness. We must follow. That's the next word in our series.